Welcome to Ariana Answers. I'm Dr. Ariana Brandolini, a clinical psychologist who lives in New York City. Every week, I answer a life question submitted by a listener like you. In the third season of my podcast, I dive deep into cognitive distortions, also known as negative thought patterns. Our cognitive distortions have a significant impact on our mental health. We have the ability to rewire our brains by getting to the root cause of these negative thinking habits and instead build patterns of thinking that create joy. Each episode will have two parts, one where I break down the distortion and the other where I give you an exercise to help you overcome. Would you like your question answered? Head over to the description of this video to submit. Now, let's jump into this week's episode. Dear Dr. Ariana, at the start of the pandemic, I started a family group chat so that we could talk regularly, keep up with one another's lives and discuss current events. I wanted us to stay close knit. I noticed on multiple occasions, however, that certain family members were making inside jokes which rubbed me the wrong way because it felt exclusionary. And it revealed that conversations were happening concurrently outside of the designated family chat. Recently, during a discussion centered on politics, those same family members piled on me, one after the other, when I said something that they disagreed with. It felt like a concerted effort to embarrass and shame me. I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure that they have a separate group chat where they talk about me and other family members that they think are uncool behind our backs. This infuriates me because it feels snobbish, cliquish, and in opposition to what family is supposed to be about. Again, I don't know it to be true, but it's hard to ignore their collective condescension. I find myself feeling slighted, and I'm almost tempted to stop engaging with them altogether because of my suspicions. What should I do? In the simplest terms, personalization is the tendency to see yourself as the cause of things you're not responsible for, or assume personal responsibility for events over which you have little or no control. The way it can look can vary from situation to situation, but it always involves negative thinking and often hinges on negative self-talk. Some examples that you might recognize. Feeling like you're to blame when someone else doesn't have a good time when they're with you. Feeling like you're being intentionally excluded from a group when you see members interacting without you. Feeling that others are blaming you for something over which you had little or no control or assuming that you've been targeted by someone's behavior when it actually has nothing to do with you. When we personalize, we see the world happening not just around us, but to us. And not just to us, but because of us. We internalize the situations that we encounter, whether they are words that others speak, their actions, situational developments, or problems. We take on not just the event itself, but the causality of that event, often believing that we are responsible for how it went down, especially when the event is negative. In many ways, personalization is a form of self-blame. It takes our emotional response to an event and turns it inward so that we become the primary target. The emotional effect of personalization can vary, but it usually involves some common sensations and feelings like burden, stress, anxiety, depression, burnout, and a sense of extreme responsibility coupled, ironically enough, with powerlessness. In other words, personalized thinking often leads to a pretty negative outlook, which contributes to a depressive or anxious mental state. 
While we all engage in personalizing to some extent, those with depression and anxiety-related disorders are most at risk because they're already engaging in a lot of self-criticism. And they already have a lot of self-focus because that's what anxiety and depression do to us. Depressive feelings look like feeling worthless and a burden to others. So we're looking for false confirmation of those beliefs wherever we can. And anxiety engages us in endless what-ifs of feared events and worst-case scenarios. And many of our worst fears involve rejection and abandonment from others. So we're hypervigilant to someone being mad or upset at us or having done something wrong. Often, this can be coupled with a history of trauma, such as physical or emotional or sexual abuse, childhood loss, and many more. Those of us that experienced harm at the hands of others were often manipulated or blamed into thinking that it was our fault, either because we were explicitly told so or because of guilt and shame. It's also more likely that you had a caregiver who had poor boundaries or held you responsible for their emotions. Look how upset you made me. Or a family member would emotionally dump on us or overshare without considering whether it was appropriate or healthy for us or if we were equipped to handle it. Do you find this information helpful? Is there a certain topic you'd like us to cover? Leave us a comment and review about what you'd like to hear. Even outside of any predispositions we might have because of our history, why does the human mind personalize? Why would our brains be so susceptible to this cognitive distortion? In short, because we have brains that are both highly evolved and deeply limited. The human brain is really good at finding causality in the world, meaning if I do A, then B happens. If I throw the spear this way, then I will hit the bear. If I avoid that weird looking plant, then I won't get sick. If I don't say the wrong thing, the head of the tribe won't expel me. This awesome ability allows us to plan for the future and understand the world around us. It also gives us control over a chaotic and often confusing world. Causality reduces randomness and helps us participate and shape events rather than merely react to them. So evolutionarily, it's very adaptive. Because we view ourselves as the center of our world, we begin finding ways of assuming we have a greater role in events than we actually do. This is partly a function of learning how to survive in the world, but it's also a function of our, for lack of a better word, egos. If we have a role to play in events, then we are powerful, we matter, and we get to believe that whatever happens, happens because of us. And this isn't necessarily good or bad, it's just a product of being human. We can't not take things personally because we experience everything personally. We can only experience life as ourselves. So everything that happens by necessity happens to us. That's so often why we feel negative events so intensely and so personally. If we could drop that egocentrism and somehow experience the world not as ourselves, but as nobody in particular, the negative events wouldn't feel as painful. 
Eastern wisdom often teaches about the abandonment of the self and the ego in order to reach a state of peace and enlightenment. As their wisdom goes, no self, no problem. Except we do have a self, and so it is a problem. And it's a tough problem too, because many of us know that we need to take things less personally, but we're living each day in a highly personalized experience. What's more, personalization often serves a function, meaning we get something out of thinking with this cognitive distortion. A recent example is a patient of mine who came into session feeling very sad and anxious about a situation she was having with her friend. Her friend had texted her to hang out over the weekend, and my patient took forever to get back to her. When she texted her friend back around a week later, her friend still hadn't responded for several days when she came into our meeting. My patient was feeling really stressed, convinced that her friend was very upset with her for taking so long to respond. She was spending a lot of time thinking about it, even asking her parents and some of her friends what she should do about it and what they thought. And you can probably guess what happened. Her friend texted her the day after our session, being really apologetic, saying she had a last minute work trip and had been super busy and she would love to try again. The next session we had a good laugh about it, but you can see how this stuff messes us up. Sometimes when we interpret other people's reactions as a result of something we did or said, it makes us feel like we matter. When we feel responsible for something important, we feel needed. Even though engaging in personalization creates unnecessary pain, it also offers a number of hidden benefits to our ego. Personalization puts us at the center of events, even when we're not, makes us feel essential and necessary, even if we aren't or shouldn't be, and gives us the illusion of control over how events unfold, even when that control doesn't actually exist. So, I want you to notice these unconscious benefits when you personalize. Notice how your thoughts might make you feel important and necessary or in control when maybe all these things aren't that true. Notice that the price you pay for this is your mental health, that you can't stop personalizing and be free of stress, anxiety, and depression. So, Notice these unconscious benefits of personalization. Notice how your thoughts might make you feel more important, more necessary, and in control than you really are. Notice that the price you pay for this is your mental health. You can't keep personalizing and be free of stress, anxiety, and depression. So as you work on your personalization patterns, when you believe that you're responsible for the way an event unfolds, ask yourself exactly how are you responsible? When you feel that you're at the center of a situation, ask yourself why you feel that way. Notice the ways in which your brain might be inventing causal links that don't necessarily exist. And then shift perspectives. Do you feel like your thoughts are often spiraling and hard to control? Is it hard to stop thinking negatively about your life? I get it. And I've helped many people like you recognize and overcome negative thought patterns, which allow them to thrive. To help you in this process, I've developed a program called Power Thoughts. This program helps you understand how thoughts physically change your brain and then equips you with the tools to rewire your thinking. 
To find out more, click the link in my podcast description. We personalize when we're only locked into our own experience. When we take a moment to empathize with the other party by imagining what the situation is from their point of view, it becomes much harder to exclusively view life through our lens that is highly personalized. So the cure for personalization is empathy. When we personalize, it's usually because we're so focused on ourselves that we're not empathizing with the other person's position. That can be your friend not responding to a text or a coworker not being very friendly at an office party or a stranger getting mad at us at the grocery store. When we empathize with another person and the possibilities of their experience, we tend not to personalize so much because we're not locked into our narrow self-oriented point of view. When my patient practiced putting herself in her friend's shoes, she was able to consider her really intense consulting job that would take up a lot of her time and energy. She thought about how her friend was actually very easygoing and understanding in general, so it was unlikely to have taken this very personally. My patient was also able to acknowledge that she probably had many other friends and family members, her boyfriend, her dog, who would also be demanding some time and attention. She was able to consider that New York is a very hectic place, people's schedules struggle to align, and so the situation is fairly common. Now, my patient didn't abandon her point of view. She thought about other friends who might potentially be upset by this and resolved to be better at getting back to people in the future. But she was able to shift between her own experience and her friend's potential experience, which allowed her to appreciate all of the variables at play. Variables, of course, that had nothing to do with her. As we transition into a brief meditation exercise, allow your eyes to close. This meditation is a way we can intentionally build empathy towards those who we feel hurt or misunderstood by. Trying to understand someone's actions and feelings is an important step towards letting go of personalizing. So inhale deeply through your nose, then inhale out through your mouth until your lungs are empty. Deep inhales followed by long exhales have a direct effect on the brain and body circuits that induce calm. So once again, inhale deeply through your nose, then exhale until your lungs are empty. One more time, inhale deeply through your nose, then exhale until your lungs are empty. Sense the contact of your body with the surface you're lying down or sitting on. And now direct your attention to your breath for the duration of three breaths. Just breathe however feels natural. And now direct your attention to any sounds in your environment. Your brain is powerful. 
you can directly attend to anything you choose. Focus on the most distant sound that you can hear. Let your sense of hearing radiate outward, searching out these distant sounds and allowing them to reach your ears for a few moments. Move your attention from sound to sound. Gradually bring your attention to closer sounds, to the sounds inside the building you're in. sounds inside the room you're in. Without opening your eyes, imagine the four walls of the room you're in, the ceiling, the floor, the surface your body is sitting or lying down on. Be aware of the existence of your physical body as it lies or sits. Become aware of your breath, how it moves in and out of your body without any effort. Now do a long inhale followed by a long exhale through your mouth. Allow your breaths to become longer and slower. Visualize the air you take in flowing through your entire body. What does it feel like? Does it make you warm? Do you feel filled with renewed strength? Now, visualize someone you love and who loves you. See their face, their body. See how they react when you're together. With your next breath, breathe in the love you receive from this person and breathe loving kindness back to them when you breathe out. Do it again. And once more. Breathe in loving kindness from your loved one and this time hold it within you. Let it flow throughout your body and help you feel warm and strong. Let the image of your loved one fade away. and see instead someone who might have recently hurt you, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They might have made you feel bad or guilty or left out. 
It can even be someone who you fought with recently. Once you visualize that person, look at them closely. Ask yourself what you have in common with this person. They have a body just like you. They have feelings just like you. They experience joy and love and pain like you. They want to be loved. They want to be understood. Gather from your body the loving kindness you received from your loved one and breathe it out. Let your loving kindness surround this person as you try to understand their actions and their needs. Then let the image go. Bring your concentration back to your breathing. Take a few more deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. Bring yourself back to your body, the room that you're in and open your eyes.